You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. James chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 27 and then one more and then we'll jump down into chapter 2. Okay, James chapter 1 verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Look over in chapter 2, verse 8. It says, if you, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you will love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have, have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Good evening. Good to see you. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, uh, I said earlier that if you're visiting with us, we are so honored that you've chosen to uh, worship with us tonight, sincerely. I look forward to getting to know you if I haven't met you yet. And if you're still, if you're watching us online, we want to say hello to you as well. Pray that the Lord would uh, just be with you in in this time as you're considering what it looks like to come back and hang out with us here, re-engage. Uh, We understand, uh, but uh, look forward to seeing you hopefully soon here uh, in this space. I want to add just a a couple of quick things to what John just shared with you. First of all, I heard that there was a great group of Mercy View people that went and served yesterday morning in the Hawthorne Heights neighborhood in North Tulsa uh, with Crossover Bible in the city of Tulsa. Uh, If you were a part of that crew that went to go do that, thank you for expressing the love of Christ in your service, in your deeds in that way, um, and rep- representing Mercy View uh, as well. Um, we are hopeful that these kind of opportunities will be engaging in more in the days to come, and so we'll want you to stay tuned to that and get involved uh, in the future. I also want to just mention to you that uh, we want to acknowledge something. We, we know uh, that our, our city uh, has uh, had their mask mandate expire Uh, this past week. And so as the leaders are thinking about this and talking about this, 
Um, we just want to uh, keep you in the loop of what that discussion looks like in the, in the uh, days to come. And so one thing that we can say tonight to you is that discussion has started very intentionally with leadership uh, both at Mercy View and leadership at Memorial Baptist. You know, we're, we're sharing their space here, and so I want to honor what their wishes might be as well. And um, what we're going to be doing over the next probably couple of weeks is having more conversation on a leadership level, talking with also our medical professionals here at Mercy View. Um, our desire is to give you some idea, some sort of finish line for some of these relaxed protocols so um, you can know. We, we, we do think that's important. And so I just want to ask you for your continued prayers for the leadership team here as we discern what needs to happen there. Um, thank you for your patience through that process. And I just want to actually commend you for the way that you have um, been so gracious in the way that we've asked you to honor these protocols up to this point. Uh, and uh, just, uh, I don't know, I'm blessed by that, honestly. That, that's not necessarily uh, the case. Uh, in every church. So we're grateful that you have been um, just patient and, and careful and willing to uh, honor one another uh, in that way here. So we're going to communicate with you uh, very promptly and openly as we make those decisions. So uh, just sort of stay tuned to both this kind of setting, but also our communication outlets uh, soon. Well, last summer, uh, as many of you know, my family had the privilege of going on a sabbatical. We had been uh, serving here at Mercy View for about 10 years, and uh, it was time for a break. It was time for a rest. And uh, you may also know, many of you, part of our story last summer was that about two weeks into the sabbatical, my back went out. And I've not really had back issues, but this was a pretty bad one. And honestly, it left me basically immobile for about two months. The sabbatical was three months. We had many, many plans. In fact, our coach, when we showed him what our, our goals and our plans were for our sabbatical, said, this isn't restful at all. What are you guys doing? Like, you, you, this is what, like, church planners would write down, uh, you know, in year one to try to get accomplished. And he was like, I get it. That's what you guys are. But you guys need to think differently about this. And then, sure enough, I was laid out. And uh, a lot could be said about that. One of the things that was so true for me is that I'm not sure I would have stopped unless the Lord would have stopped me. And it allowed me to get some rest that I maybe wouldn't have gotten otherwise. But one of the things that I remember immediately in that time was that uh, not being able to move well, I had to depend on my family a lot. You know, initially you're like, this is pretty cool. I've got my family waiting on me, you know. Um, if I ever need anything, they just run and grab it for me. This is like, this is living the life. This is great. But after a while, it wasn't. After a while, I started to feel like a burden. After a while, I started to feel like, man, they've got things that they need to do. I'm putting them out, but there was nothing else to, I could do. I, there were times where I just needed their help. What I needed really in that time was a lot of mercy from them, a lot of sacrifice from them, a lot of ways that they would serve me when I couldn't help myself. It was very humbling. It was very, um, even at times it felt humiliating. Because I am, you know, I, I can take care of myself for the most part. I, 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 I'm, you know, able to uh, provide and, and do what I need to do in my, my own life. And to depend on someone else meant that I had to admit that I needed their help. 
I wonder if you've ever been in a situation like that where you could not help yourself. You absolutely had to depend, depend on the help of someone else. You needed the mercy of someone else. If you would say that you haven't experienced that in your life, one of the things that we want to do tonight is wrestle with this idea of what does it look like for us to kind of raise our head a little bit, look around us, and maybe see the people around us that are in need of that kind of love and, and, and mercy. But some of you here tonight go, Brad, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm in that place right now. I am in need of some other people, a community of people around me with with the Lord's help to to support me and to serve me and to show me mercy. I need their strength because I'm weak. Mercy. Sometimes we don't want to admit it, but we need it. We are in a multi-week series talking about the future of Mercy View in a series called Next. And we are talking about the kind of church that we believe that God is calling us to be For the next decade, if you're visiting with us tonight, this is a great opportunity for you to hear at least one piece of that for us as we talk about what we think is important here and what we want to continue to pursue over the next 10 years uh, and, and beyond. And what we've been doing over the last few weeks in the beginning of this series is looking at the value of mission that we have here at Mercy View. And we talked the very first week of of, that, of, of this sort of series within a series on mission about our big idea, the big vision, the big dream that we have at Mercy View, and that is to be a church planning church that plants churches. We want to see a movement happen, and we're going to have to link arms with people to do this in our city and, and, and other places like that are passionate about the same things, but we want to see a, a move of God happen in our city and in our region for His glory. That was the big idea of the the first week about mission. Last week, we began to talk about what in many ways is sort of the the building blocks of that mission, the micro of that vision. We talked about what we call here at Mercy View the leading edge of mission, uh, evangelism and discipleship, which again, ultimately we pray has an outworking of church planning. Today, we want to talk about this last piece of mission here. And what we believe goes alongside evangelism and discipleship and church planning. And as we do that, I want to invite you to see really one big thing tonight, and it's this. Both justice and mercy are inseparable partners to the church's mission to proclaim the gospel. Let me just say that again. Both justice and mercy are inseparable partners to the church's mission to proclaim the gospel. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to James chapter 1, beginning there in verse 27 that you heard John just read. And as you open that back up, I just want to give you a little bit of context of, of what's happening as we jump into a, a, a book here. Um, the, the very first chapter of James, the writer of this book, he's setting up for us Um, In a sense, he's setting up a a general grid for us to understand the entire book of James. If you were to continue to read it, what he's talking about in chapter 1 helps make sense of the rest of the entire book. And in short, what he's doing here in this first chapter is, he's saying, if you want to know if you are a Christian, you have to look at what comes out of your life. Maybe another way you could say this is if you lay the words that James has to say to us over our lives, do they line up or not? 
And if not, why not? And James does this right in the very first chapter in spades in chapter 1. He's pushing us to reflect on how we respond to suffering, how we pursue wisdom, how we look at our money, how we handle conflict, and whether our tongue is used for good or for bad, and whether any of those things or all of those things are done through the grid of the gospel. And then in verse 22, you didn't hear this read, but in verse 22 of James 1, the writer says that you and I as Christians are to be doers of the word, not just hearers, but doers. And then on the heels of that, James begins to talk to us about what real Christianity looks like. Now, he uses the word religion. He's not using the word religion in a negative sense, just more in a descriptive sense. He is explaining to us what true Christianity looks like. And he just said, true Christianity is not just hearing, it's doing. And then he connects that idea of doing to three things. He says, we've got to be doers with our words and our tongues. In other words, we've got to do good. We've got to do right with our words and with our tongues. Then he says we've got to do right with our, and he, he doesn't use this word. I'm going to explain this here just a moment, but just to categorize it, he says we need to be doers of justice. And then third, he says we need to be uh, doers of righteousness. Now, we don't have time tonight to talk about the tongue or righteousness. I want to focus in on that second idea, the idea of justice. Now, you might Say, Brad, where are you getting that from? Well, when James says in verse 27 to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, what is he talking about? Like, do you see that there when he uses that phrase? In particular, the last part of that verse, in their affliction, in their affliction. In other words, I think you could say it like this. If you don't have gospel in intentionality towards injustice... Your Christianity is less pure than it could be. So you might ask how visiting orphans and widows is a justice issue. Well, in order to answer that question, we need to talk about what biblical justice is. And this is a massive topic. We don't have time to go very deep into it, but let me just, we need to start here at least, and we're going to talk about some themes that we see in the Scripture as it relates to this. But Biblical justice, first and foremost, is grounded in the very character of God. God is a just God. He is a God of justice. That's where we have to start when we think about this idea of biblical justice. We see it in the person of God. In a recent article on biblical justice, um, author and pastor Tim Keller says that as we start there, as we look there and begin to move out from there and see in the Bible some themes Here's what comes up, and this is all related to this idea of justice. The first is generosity. You and I, in the Bible, it teaches us that we have moral obligations to both God and our neighbor to use our money unselfishly, to love others with it according to our ability and to their needs. The second thing that we see, a second theme that we see is the theme of impartiality. Again, we're talking about the idea of biblical justice here. Loving one's neighbor means treating people of all races, all religions, all social classes as equal in dignity and worth. If you are moving towards gospel intentionality, towards injustice, you are going to have to be impartial impartial. The third theme is advocacy, and this is where we really begin to see 
why we use this term justice, because advocacy means that you and I, again, moving towards injustice, we are to have special concern for those overlooked by society. In particular, if you look at the Scriptures, the the, the Scriptures over and over talks about a, a few groups of people that the Lord seems to have a heart for in particular. It's not an exhaustive list. If, if, if you have a heart for someone that I don't get, I'm not getting ready to say here, that's okay. That's something the Lord has laid on your heart, and, and, and that's valid. Like, that's good. But if you look at the Scriptures, you see four groups in particular that God says over and over that He has a heart for. The poor, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. In those particular categories, we want to, as a church, to say, what should our special concern be for those? Because those people are overlooked in our society, and we want to advocate on their behalf. The fourth theme that you see in the Scriptures is this idea of responsibility, both corporate and individual. So you and I, um, as we pursue justice for those that we are connected with, that are in need of justice, we don't uh, do the easy thing, which is go, what is the one thing that explains all of the problems of their life? We are to remember that as we move into people's lives and they're in need of justice of some kind, we are to remember that someone's plight is always due to complex factors, individual factors, corporate or environmental factors, and some or all of those need to be addressed as we move towards someone with biblical justice. So, when James says in chapter 1, verse 27, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction, and again, I think you can add the poor and the immigrant to that list, how is that a form of biblical justice? Well, let's use the themes that Keller just talked about. When you visit widows and orphans and the poor and the immigrant in their affliction, you are visiting them at a very point of need that they have. They are afflicted. And when you do that, when you get involved in their lives, if you're a Christian, the Spirit will begin to move in your heart and you'll want to share your resources with them. What is that called? Generosity. You'll want to give them dignity and worth in the process. What is that called? Impartiality. You're going to want to champion their their cause, whatever that may be. What is that called? Advocacy. You're going to want to address to the best of your ability, and maybe you have to partner with other people to do this because it's a big, sometimes it's a big thing that's in front of you, but you'll want to address the various ways that their challenges can be dealt with. What do you call that? Responsibility. Those last two ideas, again, advocacy and responsibility in particular to me indicate justice ministry. But in all these ideas, you are pursuing biblical justice when you are visiting a a widow who is in a real difficult place. Now look with me, if you would, at at James 2, beginning in verse 8. James continues on many of these same themes, but look in particular at verse 13. James says this. Let me just read this again. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then James follows this a couple verses later in verse 15 by saying this. This is interesting. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the very things needed for their body, what good is that? 
So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So just on the heels of saying that mercy triumphs over judgment, James has a really hard word for us here. He is actually saying if someone that is in front of you has a physical need, and we say to you, go in peace, be warm and filled, and we aren't actually the ones helping them be warm and filled, he's saying we need to check our hearts because faith without works is dead. I mean, he talks about clothing here. He's talking about food. He's talking about need. And I wonder if you see the connection. James is talking about the ministry of mercy here. And this really begins to beg the question a little bit tonight, how does mercy differ from justice? So let's talk about it this way. If you were hanging out on the side of the Illinois River and you began to see injured people floating down the river, your heart of mercy would be to get into the river, grab individuals, and begin to bring physical care to them one by one. It's practical service, one-to-one many times. But justice is being on the side of the Illinois River and seeing these injured people floating down the river and asking, where are these injured bodies floating from? And then going upstream to figure out, what's, why is this happening? And then actively working to change how it happened in the first place, how they were getting injured in the first place, so it doesn't keep recurring. So that is one way that I think we can see how these two ideas actually work together. Mercy and justice are not opposed to one another. They are rather, in a sense, two sides of the same coin. And there's some overlap for sure, but generally mercy does what justice can't do, and justice does what mercy can't do. Or maybe we could say it this way, mercy ministry can serve justice solutions, but we can't meet justice issues with mercy solutions alone. Again, the ideas of advocacy and responsibility, as we talked about earlier, I think help us here. Those ideas begin to move us out of, in a sense, mercy ministry to justice ministry because those two things are many times bigger than us, and we've got to deal with larger issues. Here's another way maybe to understand the difference between the two. Think of the differences between the story of Moses in the Old Testament and the story of the Good Samaritan in the New Testament. Think about what the Good Samaritan does. The Good Samaritan does not attempt to figure out why people are getting robbed on the highway. Right? It was a common problem in that day. It could have been something that he would have pursued. Instead, what he did was provided immediate relief to a sworn enemy, but he, he, he served that man. Right? Moses, on the other hand, doesn't necessarily deal with the individual victims of Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's rule. Right? He confronts the very source of the injustice, Pharaoh himself. The Samaritan limits his work to the beaten man And he resolves the problem with good deeds, even though the underlying problem of banditry still remained. Moses does not merely help one person escape from slavery, but he takes public action to bring an end to the institution of slavery at this time. In short, the Samaritan's action was one of mercy for one, and Moses' was an act to secure justice for many. Now, just because Moses, his actions serve many, doesn't make his action better. 
Again, it's just another side of the coin. Both mercy and justice, as we think about this as Christians, are are both important. They're both needed in the kingdom. And, And this is really the one big idea that I want you to see this evening. I want to invite you to see, and it's this. Both justice and mercy are inseparable partners to the church's mission to proclaim the gospel. Both justice and mercy are inseparable partners to the church's mission to proclaim the gospel. Let, let, me, um, let me do this for, for us uh, tonight as we really make sense a little bit more of that, that idea of what it means. What does it mean for mercy and justice to be partners with the uh, gospel proclamation? We here at Mercy View, um, we want to say it that way because we have a deep desire to integrate the ideas of mercy and justice that we just talked about into our ministry here at Mercy View without forgetting what is most important or primary or the leading edge of what we do here at at, at this church. And these things are the things that I pray will mark us for the next decade. I told you at the very beginning of this series, some of the things that we're going to talk about aren't new. This isn't new. (laughs) The idea of, of, of pursuing uh, the leading edge of mission, gospel proclamation, evangelism, discipleship, the outworking of church planning. But tonight we're talking about what is partner, uh, partnering with that or partnered with that, um, and it's this idea of mercy and justice. And I want to share with you some practical things that we are currently investing in and going to continue to invest in, but also one big dream in particular that, that we pray we would be engaged in uh, over the next decade here and see the Lord really move. So first, how do we think about mercy and justice here? Again, last week we said evangelism, discipleship, leading edge of mission here. Another way to say that is that those two things under the umbrella of gospel proclamation are, are a non-negotiable for us as we think about mission here uh, at, at Mercy View. The ministry of the word, it's primary. But we just said that mercy and justice are inseparable partners to mission. So one of the ways that we like to say this, we stole this from, from uh, uh, Tim Keller as well. We, we, we say mercy and justice are inseparable but asymmetrical partners to justice. In other words, mercy and justice, acts of mercy and justice, and evangelism, discipleship are not equal to one another in importance, but they are inseparable partners as we pursue mission together. I hope that makes sense. Now, something that needs to be said here that is very important to us here at Mercy View as we think about in particular the idea of mercy, is that we have a priority here that we believe that we are first to take care of our own members who are in dire need, what we call benevolence ministry, first. So if there's someone in our own fellowship in need of mercy, they're raising their hand and saying, I need help, our heart is to move towards them and to serve them in any way that we can. Galatians 6.10 is the idea here, right? Uh, Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is an important distinction. We take care of our our family members or those that are connected to Mercy View first. We like to see this primarily happen through our missional communities, but we recognize that there are times that the church needs to get involved to serve our partners and those connected to us here at Mercy View in a meaningful way. And something that you need to know, your giving, your stewardship, gives us the ability to do that. Your giving has actually helped us do that recently with someone that was in need within our own fellowship here. We really were able to bless her in a meaningful way. So I want to thank you for that. Your giving, your generosity enables us to do the work of benevolence ministry here among us. 
But as we think about justice, as we think about mercy, we absolutely also want to be ready and willing to serve those outside of our church. We deeply desire to be engaged in the work of mercy and justice in our city. And we do it because we want to adorn the gospel. We want to make much of Jesus. We're convicted by Jesus' words to the Pharisees when he said, Woe to you, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Though mercy and justice isn't an equal partner in evangelism and discipleship, it is a partner nonetheless. Jesus said it was important. And we see it as the interplay, really, between the great commandment, love God and love your neighbor, and the great commission, go and make disciples. Mercy and justice, they're not the gospel, but it flows out of what the gospel has done for you and me. In gratitude, we get to serve others as we have been served by God. And ultimately, what the gospel promises will be a reality in the future. One day, there will be no suffering. There will be no injustice. So we work for the relief of those things in the here and now. And as we engage in those activities, we, uh, we run those opportunities through a, a few questions. We ask ourselves here at Mercy View, as we think about opportunities for mercy, for justice, we, we say, first, is it contextual? In other words, does it make sense for the people and the place that we are, are serving? We ask, is it sustainable? Is this something that has an appropriate ending or that can continue even after we're gone? And this is a close cousin to it, but the third question is, is it empowering? Does it raise up the people that are being served, allowing them to engage in transformation instead of simply watching others do it for them? And then lastly, does it provide a space for, for us to proclaim the gospel? Are we able to openly share the good news of Jesus with those we are serving? So in light of those convictions and the, the, just the overall passion we have for this here at Mercy View, we have adopted what we call uh, mercy and justice pipelines to serve our city with gospel intentionality. And we have identified actually five groups that we want to serve. You've heard us say this before, but we just want to say it again tonight. The widow, the sojourner, the orphan, the student, and the poor. These Five groups, as it stands here tonight, Sunday, May the 2nd, 2021, will continue to be our missional focus for the time being as we move forward. So what are we doing? Uh, let us talk about that real quick. One, one of the things I was thinking about as I was preparing is some of what I'm getting ready to share you has been really difficult this last year in, 2020, uh, in 2020. Um, and partly it's because of the, the need that we've had to isolate and, and quarantine and be away from each other a lot. Mission has been particularly hard. But our prayer is that this year, as we move back to, towards more normalcy, we'll be able to engage more deeply in, in some of what I'm getting ready to share with you. But the orphan, um, we have a longstanding relationship with an amazing organization here in Tulsa called Stand in the Gap that works with young women and men who've aged out of the foster system, providing mentoring and care. Um, some of our, our, our partners here at Mercy View have participated in that and, and served young men and young women, but we are, as a church, wanting to mobilize the entire church towards serving the orphan in this way. And so I want to say to you tonight, if, if that is something that, as I just said that, something in, in your heart kind of the spirit pricked, you said, nah, you need to do that, you need to come talk to me because we need to get you connected with this organization and what they're doing. They're doing amazing work. The sojourner and the immigrant. 
Um, again, this has been difficult in 2020, but we're looking forward to re-engaging with the international community outreach and student ministry uh, on the campus of TU in the days ahead. We're, in the past, we've worked with international students at TU through conversation groups and evangelism and discipleship, provided food for them for their weekly lunches there on campus. If you have a heart for the immigrant, we have a place for you to connect with those, those folks. The student. Uh, obviously, some of what I just said, some of the sojourners are students, but we also have a, a growing relationship with the uh, Baptist Collegiate Ministries on the campus of TU and looking forward in the fall to kind of get re-engaged with them and serve them there. One of the needs they have in particular is the need of mentorship. So if that's something that you are um, interested in serving, we, we can get you connected with a student at TU and walk with them and disciple them uh, over the next uh, school year. be a great opportunity for you. Uh, the poor. Um, we have, a, 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 for a few years, been working with a, an amazing organization here in town called City of Hope. They work with particularly the homeless of Tulsa. My friend John Most is, uh, leads that ministry. And again, one of those things that's been really difficult uh, to do over the last year. But as we move back towards some more normalcy this year, we hope we can share with you some opportunities to get involved in practical ways to serve uh, the homeless here in Tulsa. Um, both financially but also personally, just face-to-face just -face ministry as well. I want to share with you one big uh, dream and vision that we have. This is uh, something that's been sort of growing and, and bubbling up for us. It, it won't be a huge surprise to hear this, but uh, we want to just say uh, tonight that uh, one of the things, and this is particularly a justice issue that we feel convicted as a church to get involved in in a more um, uh, deeper way, it relates to the issue of racial harmony. Um, if you don't know, the Tulsa Race Massacre's 100th anniversary is at the end of this month, um, on May the 31st. Um, if you don't know about that story, you need to. You need to go and listen and learn. But um, that in particular has been, as we looked at this year and thought about the ways that we want to... Um, uh, wrestle with racial harmony, that parti this particular uh, anniversary um, has been a catalyst for that. And uh, as you remember, last year, um, we engaged in uh, a, a season of, of looking at uh, the issue in an equipped group together, in a, in a short-term group. And I am convinced that the fruit, that there is some fruit that's come out of that study, that there's some stuff that's happening right now in relationships with people here at this church uh, as it relates to racial harmony that comes directly from last fall. So I want to commend Ryan in particular, our, our staff deacon for community equipping, for leading that charge, and for those of you that participated in that. But um, I, you need to know that there are conversations happening right now with partners at Mercy View, with those in the black community that are um, are meaningful, and we are prayerful and, and desiring to see those grow, and we want to invite you to be a part of those if you, if you so desire. Come in, and come and talk to me about that. Um, we are also excited about some, again, it's just on the front end, but developing some real meaningful relationships with some black churches in North Tulsa in the hopes to be able to partner together for the sake of mercy and justice there. What, what some of you did Saturday morning, serving alongside Crossover Bible is a great example of that. Um, I mentioned at our partner meeting, for those of you that weren't able to be there uh, a couple weeks ago, last week, um, 
in a few weeks, you'll have an opportunity to participate in something. This is an example of, of uh, some, some conversations that are happening uh, behind the scenes. Um, we've, we've been able to develop some relationships with some folks, and they've invited us to participate as a church uh, in the Black Wall Street 100, which is a bike race. And if you're a biker, this is a great opportunity for you to, to participate in this. Um, and if you're interested, Jerry Robach is uh, the point person for that. Uh, but another great chance for us to go and, and just share the love of Christ and be the love of Christ to those uh, that, that day. I think it's uh, June the 13th or 14th. I can't remember the date for sure. I'll just share with you a couple more things as it relates to this. Um, one of the things that came out of the study last fall was these uh, four L's. And these really, in a lot of ways, are the, the grid for us as we think about how to, as a predominantly white church, pursue racial harmony in a city that is, is still dealing with the residue deeply from 1921. Um, and the four L's are listen, learn, love, and lament. And those continue to be and will be for the next decade, I pray, and beyond, the four ways that we want to pursue this together. And so I want to actually uh, invite you into a couple of things that's going to happen. Um, this, one is this fall, and one will begin at the, at the very beginning of next year. But um, um, a, a few years ago, and I've shared this with you before, um, I took my kids with a group of people, and we went and, and got a tour uh, of the Greenwood District. And it ended up, we, we, we closed out in the John, Hopeland Frank, Franklin, uh, John Hope Franklin uh, Reconciliation Park. Um, it was an eye-opening experience, a heart-opening experience. Um, and I think that we would do well as a church to learn. So I want to invite you to join me this fall. We'll, we'll have dates for it soon. But this fall, I want to invite you to go with me down there to the Greenwood District and, and get a tour from someone that would help us learn, help us understand better about what did happen in 1921 so that we can be better listeners and better lovers and be able to lament alongside our black brothers and sisters uh, who are still dealing with some of that. Um, most, most, if not all, are dealing with that. And then in the beginning of next year, we're going to be rebooting something that didn't happen because COVID hit last year, but our film and theology uh, series. And the very first film that we're going to look at together, probably around January or February of next year, is going to be related to the issue of racial harmony. As you know, in the, I think it's the second Sunday of, of every year, right around Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend, we have Racial Harmony Sunday. So somewhere in and around that, we're going to um, be able to watch a, a film together that deals with that issue and then have conversation together about it after, and I'll be leading that uh, at the beginning of next year. It's a big dream of ours, a big hope of ours. Um, we pray that you'll join us in that, that you'll join us as we attempt to, with the Lord's help, listen, learn, love, and lament. So why continue to show mercy and justice as a church in the next decade? Because we've been shown mercy. The just result of our sin has been met by the mercy of God in the cross of Jesus. Jesus is both the just and the justifier. And the mercy that we have received compels us to extend that mercy in both proclaiming the gospel message, absolutely, that's going to meet people's most like deepest need, it's their spiritual need, but also practically to those around us, we want to serve 
in mercy ministry, one-to-one or many-to-one, and then in justice ministry, advocating for those who can't advocate for themselves to address larger cultural issues. You heard Ryan preach on this a few weeks ago. He said, he preached from Micah 6.8, we are commanded to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So I'm asking you as we close tonight, will you join us as we endeavor in this way in the next decade? My prayer is that your answer to that question is, I'm with you, Brad. I'm with you, Mercy View. Let's do this. Let's pray together.